0: I'm going to do this class a little bit different than ones I have in the past with uh, asking for comments from the class and so forth. Um, <clears throat> if you think of comments you would like to make, please try to note those and maybe uh, hold them till the end of the class. If we have time, we will go back to that. Since the COVID situation hit, I have had something that I've wanted to do for, well, since that time, for the last two or three years, and that is to present a lesson that I did some 10 or 12 years ago, which came out of a great trial that I had been through, and uh, some of my study during that time, during that trial, and I thought that this would be a good time to do it now. You may not understand uh, how this pertains to forgotten characters of the Bible. But as we get through it and toward the end, I think you will understand uh, why I believe this pertains to a forgotten character of the Bible. Not always necessarily forgotten uh, most of the time, but in a time when this character should be remembered often, He is forgotten. When COVID hit, we began to be separated from one another quite a bit. Elders did the best that they could in knowing how to deal with that. And we're so thankful for the technology that we had that we were able to... um, Worship from our homes and to feel somewhat together, but still we were separated. And things changed a lot for us in the church in the way that we uh, worship, the way that we studied, how often we did it together, and so it became uh, kind of laid upon us to be responsible for ourselves and our spiritual uh, growth and strength in our homes. As a result of COVID, <clears throat> there were a lot of things happened that not just related to COVID, but seems like might have been somewhat related, just a little bit, that changed our uh, many of our lives in a way that we never expected, we never dreamed of. Some of us lost our jobs. And so we had to learn how to deal with that and to cope with that. Some who had taken care of their finances to the best of their ability and had done what they thought was being good stewards of what God had given them. They had prepared for a time when they would retire or or uh, not be able to work anymore. And during that time period, all of that was eaten up and it's gone. And and now they found themselves in a situation that they had not prepared for and didn't think would happen. Some lost a loved one to COVID because of that. Some of us had family and friends, loved ones who ended up in divorce. And we thought, I can't see that happening. Surely that will never happen in my family. It happened to my loved ones. But it did. Some of us had family or friends who uh, gave up the faith. The time that they had alone at home, all this time at home, they began to dig into different kinds of things. And for some reason they found that i i don't believe in god anymore i believe that probably these other these other people are right in what they're saying and so we have relatives and friends who gave up the faith and that hurt and we we couldn't understand why we wondered why god why is this happening in our life right now We did much the same as Job and his friends did. Not all of us did this, but I think that many times what happens when we get in those situations, we begin to question God. God, I've lived according to the way You want me to live the best that I know how. I'm doing the best that I can. Why is this happening to me? Like Job's friends Job's friends looked at this as, well, Job, you've sinned some way. There's, there's sin in your life. And that's why this is happening to you. And they kept coming back at him. Job, Job says, no, no, I'm faithful to God. That's not why this is happening. But to them, yes, Job, there's sin in your life. For many of us, we could, we might be able to say, yeah, that's why this has happened in my life, because I did allow sin to rule in my life, I did allow sin to be in there, and a lot of people didn't see it and didn't know about it, but it became apparent to those closest around me as as we got locked into our houses, and so... Yeah, sin was the reason for that. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, Paul points out as we have, all of us are familiar with this passage and have heard it many times, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Let me get to this. Go ahead with verses 6 through 10. Okay, verse 7, there I guess. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of his flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. I read the latter part of that because I wanted to point out Job's friends thought that if you are suffering something, it has to be because of sin. Nobody who's not uh, done something against God is going to suffer like Job was suffering we find out from the book of job that's not true because god himself is going to vindicate job in the very end of the book even god will vindicate job and tell his friends you've been saying what's not right about me and you go to job and you ask job to pray for you so just because i'm suffering doesn't mean that it's because of sin and one of the things that's pointed out in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10 is do good to all men, do what's right. Yes, you will reap what you sow. It may not be now. He says, in due season we shall reap if we think not. It might be that some of the good that I'm doing right now, I'm not going to reap. Right now on this earth, even. It may be in due season later. But in due season, if we do good and we do right with God, we will reap what we have sown because we have done good. So Job's friends, in one sense we're right, and it's important any time we're going through a great trial that we look at ourselves. We look within us and say, is it because of something that's in me that is amiss in my life and I'm not right with God? Is that why this is happening to me? Because it might be. And if it is, we need to correct that and straighten it up. It doesn't mean we won't face the consequences of what we've done. But we need to realize that it's because of me and I need to, to straighten it up try to get it right. But Job himself knew that he was an upright man, a man who did what was right and good in the eyes of God. And uh, God himself, as I said, validates that about Job. And so Job looked at it differently. His view was can't be because I'm sinning, or I've sinned, or I've done something amiss against God. But why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this great hardship? In the beginning, Job would say, shall I receive what is good from God and not receive what is evil or hard from God? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job said, I'm going to serve God regardless. But as time went on, and this thing just kept stringing out longer and longer, and the hardship just seemed to get harder and harder, Job began to say, God, this isn't fair. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Take your hand off of me, that I can breathe a little bit. It's hidden right because I've tried to follow you as best I know how. I'm, I'm living right with you. He would go on later to try to say, God, let me just talk to you and, and see if we can't work this thing out because I believe you're wrong in what you're allowing to happen to me. And as we all know, ultimately God would say, All right, Job. Answer me these questions. Where were you when the world was made? And, and tell me the answer to all of these things that I've created. And ultimately Job would say, let me just shut my mouth. I can't, I can't say anything. I realize that I'm speaking without knowledge. And yes, I don't understand why it's happening to me. I don't understand what's going on. But, God, you, you're in control. You, you know the big picture. You're doing what you know is right to be done. And that's where he would come to in the end. As we look at Job... I guess beginning about chapter 4, maybe chapter 3 there. Um, Those are the things that we see. I want you to think about this fact. We have revealed for us what went on before all of this started happening to Job. We have the curtain pulled back and we can see Satan before God, and he's the one that's really causing all of this to to come about with Job. God is permitting it to happen, but Satan is the one who is behind it. And it's because Job is living this good life, he is such a good man, that Satan wants to bring this trial upon him, to test him, and to say, alright God, I know that he's living good now, but take away all of the blessings that you've given him, and you're going to see he's not what you think he is. Take them away, and God would allow him to do that. So Satan is the man we're going to talk about this morning, and um, hopefully try to present something that maybe you've not thought about before about Satan. Um... We can't say that, yes, this is because Satan is doing this to me when we go through some of the trials that some of us have been through. When we go through those trials, really, we're just where Job and his friends were. God does not open up that curtain to let us see, well, Satan was, is after you. Satan is wanting to test you and to try you to see if you'll stay faithful to me. We don't know that. We're just like Job and his friends, not knowing for sure where this is coming from and why it's happening to us. But when it happens, I think it's important that we don't focus totally on God in saying, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this... Happened to me, we need to remember that Satan is a force in our world today, just as he was then. And he's a force that may be behind some of that, and it might help us deal with it some better if we remember that Satan is there. I want to, if you will, open to Job chapter 1. And we'll look there. We read in Job chapter 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. Had seven sons and three daughters and great possessions. We go through all of that. And uh, go down to verse 6 then. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? First off, I'd like us to consider verse 6 there that Satan came before God among the sons of men, and and God, of course God knew where he came from, but he asked him, and I think that may be for our good as much as anything, but he asked him, and Satan says, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. This sounds very similar to some things that we learn about Satan in the New Testament, and I'd like for us to consider some of those things as we look at what we're seeing here in the book of Job concerning Satan. First of those is Revelation chapter 12. In verse 10, we read, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcome Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Satan is presented here in the book of Revelation as the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night. Obviously, in eternity, there's not day and night. Uh, I think that probably this is a, a reference to just help us see that uh, He's working in the earth where there is day and night, and and it's a constant thing that He's coming before God to accuse the righteous before God uh, at all times. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, and this is a passage which um, we are usually very familiar with. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Most of the time when we read this passage concerning Satan, we focus on him being like a roaring lion who is walking about, seeking whom he may devour. But I think it's interesting, if you look up this word adversary in Strong's exhaustive concordance, the definition you will see is an opponent in parentheses in a lawsuit, specifically Satan as the archenemy. It is translated only as adversary in the Bible. That's the, uh, or at least the King James. That's the only way that that is translated uh, in the New Testament. There. An opponent in a lawsuit is the way he's this word pictures him as our adversary before God. And if we put these two together, Revelation and 1 Peter 5, it appears that he is our adversary in a court of law, if you will, before God, accusing us before God constantly, trying to tell God, This person's not worthy. This person doesn't deserve your blessings, your favor, because this person uh, is not uh, as he appears to be. And so we go back to Job chapter 1, and this appears to be much the same as what he has talked about in these two passages when we look at Job coming, be, or Satan, coming before God and saying, I've been going back and forth in the earth and walking back and forth on it. And uh, what's he been doing? Well, from 1 Peter five eight, we would know that he's seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for somebody that's there that, that is the weak one that he can pick up on, and accuse before God. The next part is one that for many, many years in my younger years, uh, I found puzzling. And that is when God asked, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? As I read that in my younger years, I always read it... uh, Job, you've been looking for somebody. Well, what about, I meant, Satan, you've been looking for somebody. Well, what about Job? Have you you thought about Job? But that's not, I believe, what this word has reference to. And because if you look, if you have the King James and you look in your footnotes there, uh, as this appears in chapter one and in chapter two, you'll find in the uh, footnotes there concerning this word, that it uh, means, have you set your heart on? Literally, it means, have you set your heart on? So he asks Satan, you've been walking to and fro looking for whom you may devour. Have you set your heart on Job? Because he's this upright man that does right before me? Are you wanting to to try to test him, to try to try him? And if you will look this word up, you will find that is an accurate portrayal of this word uh, in the Hebrew there. And so, Job, Replies back to God what we've already talked about. Um, He says in verse 9 there, um, or Satan, I keep saying, Job, y'all forgive me. (laughs) My mouth says something different than what my mind is thinking a lot of times, and I can't, I don't know why that's happening. But Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. There is one sense in which things that happen to us might be attributed to God in a way because he has to, be, has to give permission to Satan, it appears, from this passage before Satan can bring about a lot of these trials and tests that he does in our lives. Temptations, if you will. And I hope this will maybe uh, add a little depth to 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, which I'm sure is familiar to everyone here as well, where Paul said, In verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. As we look at this picture of Satan with Job, it appears that, that God had to give him permission to do the things that he wanted to do to Job. But God gives us assurance that we're not going to be attempted beyond what we are able to bear. We may have to bear it. We may have to bear up under it. and may have to bear up under it for an extended period. But we're not going to be tempted above what we are able to bear. And God is there making sure that Satan does not push us beyond what we are able to bear. I think that's something that we can gain from what we learn about Satan in, in this passage. I'm going to go on to another passage or two that I would like for us to look at. Uh, concerning Satan and the way that he works in trying good, faithful people of God. But uh, Satan would go on again to try this. The thing that I would like for us to note from this is when Satan goes to make this trial, he says, God, let me separate him from your blessings. Take away the stuff you've given him. Take away the security that He has with you. And now let's see what He does. Many times when we go through the hardest trials in our life, it's because stuff is being taken away from us and the blessings of God are being taken away from us and we're then being put to the test. Will you believe God? Will you... Will you trust Him? Will you stay faithful to Him when a lot of the things that He's given you have been taken away and and separated away from you? Let's go to Matthew chapter 4 and look at the temptation of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, we learn that Jesus was Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That to me says that this was something that Satan was given permission with or to do. It says to me that Satan, in a sense, has asked for Christ, that he might tempt him and put him to the test. And the Spirit led him into that wilderness to have this temptation. And the temptation came after Jesus had been 40 days and nights without food, and he was hungry. He was hungry, he was weak, His physical body was uh, yearning for sustenance. And that's when Satan began to bring this temptation against him because he had separated him from the, the things he needed in this life, from his food, from people. He was in this wilderness... And now he's weak, now he's ready to be tempted by Satan with these other things that are going to be pushed on him and the way he's going to be questioned and tempted to do things that would not be right before God in order to get those things that he wants right now. And ultimately, the, the final thing would be to fall down and worship before Satan. But as we know, Jesus did not do that. He, uh, he withheld, he held up through all of that. Angels came and ministered to him, verse 11. And he was allowed to gain his strength back and to gain back that which he had been separated from while he was in the wilderness in order to be tested by Satan. The last of these that I would like for us to look at is Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'm going the wrong way here. Here we're looking at the apostles before Jesus is about to be crucified, before they are about to go into the garden, and Jesus is going to be arrested and then taken to uh, Pilate's residence to be tried. But uh, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, Nothing. Then he said to them, But now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you, that this which is written must still be accomplished in me, And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. I want to go back first of all to look at what Jesus has said to Simon here. And when I did this before, Brother Mike Dacey pointed out that this passage actually has a reference to all of the apostles but in as uh, some of the words there are in the plural and indicate that Jesus was not just referring to to Peter alone but in verse 31 he does address Peter specifically and he says satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat I think this is a very obvious reference that Satan, again, like the others that we've looked at, it appears that Satan had to ask for permission to bring this thing about that was going to happen with Peter and with the apostles. God gave him permission for this to happen. As he talked about uh, what Satan had asked, he asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Uh, most of you are familiar with a sieve. The ladies probably remember, uh, familiar with a wheat sieve that you're trying to sift out the lumps that might be in the wheat. Uh, you pour flour into this. Sieve and you shake it around and up and down and just keep shaking it around and all of the small particles will come through the screen and then there's this these lumps come out that are left that will not go through the screen. It's what a sifting process is about. When I did this before, most many of you may know that uh, we have a pawn shop and. Uh, When I did this before 10 or 12 years ago, for me, the thing that I thought of was this diamond sieve because we uh, have a big bunch of diamonds. We were looking to sort them out and get the sizes different. So we'd use different size sieves for our holes that we would put them in. And you shake them around and, and tap them on the desk and all of the small ones would fall out except for that size that you were looking for. And Eric caught me sometime after that and he said, I'm sure everybody could relate to a bunch of diamonds that they're trying to, trying to sort through. So I tried to get something that was different that maybe you could relate to. I can relate to maybe a, a combine. I don't, I don't know if many of you would be able to relate with that or not, but, um, I remember being in the back of a combine and where they had been harvesting wheat. You ever wonder, how is it that you cut these stalks of wheat off and then you end up with all these grains, this hopper that's full of just grains of wheat? But you're watching and all of this fodder and stalks and everything are going into this combine. If you look at the back of that combine, it's, it's doing like this. And that straw is on that and all of that grain is falling down out of that into a separate place where it's separated from the stalks. This is what sifting is about. Sifting is about seeking to separate The articles that you have there to find something that you're looking for, whether it be something smaller or bigger. But when you sift something, you have to shake it. You can pour the other stuff in there and it's just going to sit there. If you just, if it's just real still, it's going to sit there. To sift it, you gotta, you gotta shake it and tap it. To get it to, to get what you're looking for to come out. And I think this is what happened with Peter. Many times it's what happens with us as Satan maybe asks God, "Let, let me see if I can find that person's weakness. Let me see if I can find that lump that's in there that I can accuse them with as I come before you. To me, I think Peter's... probably the thing that that was Peter's downfall was the fact that this time they had a sword. Peter said, Lord, I'll go with you to death. I'll die with you. They just had two swords. What was that against this great Roman army that was coming after Jesus. And Peter would cut off the the ear of Malchus, but Jesus would say, put your sword up. That's not what we're about. We're not fighting in this way. And when that happened, all of a sudden Peter realized we're going to be at the mercy of these people. Bad things are going to be happening to us. And that was his weakness that Satan was able to bring out and uh, almost bring a downfall for Peter with. But I appreciate the fact that Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus prayed for Peter. I like to think that probably... That could happen with our lives as well as we get ready to go through a great trial in this life. Don't know. That's one of those things that we're the curtains are closed. We don't know what's going on behind the curtains as we're going through these things. We're like Job and his friends. We, we didn't see all of that before. But as we're going through great trial like this, we need to remember that Satan is behind a lot of this. Satan is our enemy. He's our adversary. He's accusing us before God day and night. And let's don't just focus on God when we go through some of these trials and try to blame God for what's happening there. Let's realize that Satan many times is behind these things and we need to lay the blame at his feet. Comments that anybody has, I don't know that everybody or anybody will agree with the things that I have put forth here, but these are things that I believe the Bible indicates to us and shows us and things that we should take comfort in and hope in when we go through a great trial and we want to focus on God and and do like Job and say, God, you're not fair, you're not right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that Job was perfect. When Job is wrestling with his friends and mm-hmm. they say, you must have done evil, don't you think there were some things in his life he regretted? I, I definitely think there were, yes. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yes. But despite the fact that God didn't do it that way, God God had gotten past those things so Yes. forgiven him for those things. Mm-hmm. No doubt Job had sin in his life. We all sin. We can't, can't deny it, but he was a faithful man. He was a man who offered sacrifices for his children and for himself on a regular basis, just in case they did sin in these places where they were at. So it's not that he was sinlessly perfect, but he was blameless before God and God viewed him in that way. Anyone else? Thank you for your attention. I hope maybe this can can bring some comfort sometime along. Because I believe that all of us, if we are live a long life of service to God, we're going to go through some trials that we never expected we would have to go through. and Some very, very hard things that we need to be prepared for when they come. Thank you.